Our unison reading this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1 through 6. Uh, these verses are a reminder to us that we worship God as our true shepherd. God promises to be our true shepherd through Jesus Christ, or through the person that he names here in this text, the righteous branch of David. And so there's some wonderful things to think about as we look at this text, encouraging things to our souls that will be helpful for us to prepare us to worship and to pray, and that will be suitable for our subject this morning since we're celebrating the installation of David Bain, and that's exciting. So let's take a look at the text first. We're going to read the text. I'm going to make a few comments, and then we'll look at the historical context and interpret its meaning. So here's the text, Jeremiah 23, 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds. Now I need to pause right here immediately and make sure you understand what Jeremiah means. When he is speaking about the shepherds in this context, he's talking about the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel who had led the people astray for so many years, especially right before exile. That's the context that we're in in the book of Jeremiah. And God here is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and he pronounces woe on the shepherds, the kings of Israel who were tasked with leading and feeding the people of God. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. We're going to talk more about this in just a minute, but God means... These shepherds who have brought covenant curses upon his people. Woe to these shepherds, declares the Lord. Verse 2, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people or who were charged with the care of my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. And then here God begins to speak to us his response to these false shepherds. Behold. I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I'll restore their blessings to them. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. God is going to raise up a true shepherd for Israel, a true king. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. He'll treat God's people right, and he'll lead them in the paths of righteousness and grace and love. Verse 6, in his days... Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So a beautiful, beautiful text. Let's think about the historical context here. In the context of the book of Jeremiah, Israel had broken covenant with God. And so they were destined by God to suffer the curse, the covenant curse of exile, or what he's calling here scattering among the nations, being put out of the land. Remember, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, God had made a covenant with the nation of Israel. And the terms of that covenant, this relationship that God enters into Israel by covenant, includes blessings and curses. God promises if his people will keep his covenant, he will bless them. He promises if they break his covenant, if they go after to worship false gods, he will bring devastating curses upon them. He will severely discipline them. The worst of these curses 
in the Old Covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 28 is exile, scattering them, removing them from the land. You remember how important it was in the Old Testament to Israel to be in the land. It was rooted in God's promise to Abraham. God had promised Abraham and the nation of Israel the land and a place in that land. But God says, if you break my covenant, I'm going to remove you from the land. I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to vomit you up out of the land. In fact, I want to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 28 so that you capture something of the importance and the severity of this curse of exile that God had promised so long ago in Israel's history. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 62 and following. Just listen to this and take this in. It's stunning, really. But here's what God says. Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. Because you've forsaken the Lord and served these other gods, I'll give you over to them, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel. And the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt. A journey that I promise that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there shall be no buyer. It's a severe act of discipline. It's a severe curse that God promises to bring upon Israel. And that's where we find ourselves when we come to the book of Jeremiah. The people have broken the covenant. They've gone after false gods. And God is about to bring this great disaster upon them. He's going to scatter them among the nations. He's going to send them off into exile. He's going to make good on his promise in the covenant to bring curses upon his people because they have disobeyed him. And it's Jeremiah's task to bring this message of disaster. Can you imagine having that ministry? And part of Jeremiah's task was to explain to the people why God was acting so severely against them. To explain to them what had happened that caused all of this to take place. And here in this particular place, at least in part, it's due to their false shepherds. It's due to the kings of Israel who were tasked with caring for the people, feeding them, leading them, guiding them, directing them making sure they didn't go off in any path that they chose against the Lord and broke his covenant. It was the, the king's responsibility to lead the people in the ways of God's covenant. But the kings had failed to do this. And this is very clear for us in verse 1 and 2 again. Woe to the shepherds, the kings, who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastor. There's that language, that covenant curse language. It's they who have done this by their neglect Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock. You have driven them away. You've 
It's your fault they're going into exile, at least in part. And you have not attended to them. You have not been careful to do what I tasked you to do. Now, God is not relieving the people of their responsibility, but he is here highlighting and emphasizing the special place that the shepherds and the kings of Israel had in leading God's people in the way of the covenant. But what, what this, this passage becomes beautiful to us, and it gets interesting when we see God's response to these false shepherds. And we begin to see this at the end here of verse 2. Uh, God is about to make three promises. Three promises. Three things that God promises to do in response to these false shepherds who have led the people into covenant breaking. And when God makes these promises, essentially what he's promising is that he's going to be Israel's true shepherd. He's going to be Israel's true shepherd through his appointed Christ, the one he calls here David's branch, the one that we know as the Lord Jesus Christ. And God reveals some amazing things about the wonders of his character and his goodness to his people. So the first thing that God promises is there at the end of verse 2, he promises woe to the false shepherds. He promises swift destruction upon the false shepherds of Israel. You see that you have not attended to my people. Behold. I will attend to you. You have not shepherded my people. I will shepherd you, is what he's saying there. And a good shepherd protects his flock. A good shepherd destroys false shepherds. A good shepherd kills wolves. And this is what God is promising here at the end of verse 2. He promises, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord, addressing those false shepherds and those wolves called the kings of Judah. God reminds us here that he's the true shepherd. He protects his people. He protects them. He guards them. This is the same thing that Peter talks to us about in 2 Peter chapter 2. God promises swift destruction upon the false teachers. And God knows how to reserve the ungodly for judgment. And he knows how to protect and to guard and to provide for his people. So it's a very encouraging text here. It's a very encouraging thing that God promises He's going to bring judgment upon these shepherds, in part that's going to be in the exile itself. Then in verse 3 and 4, he goes on. He begins to speak of what he's going to do once he takes care of the false shepherds. He promises, secondly, to give Israel true shepherds when he brings his people back from exile. Look at verse 3 and 4. Then, when I have destroyed you, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. I'm going to have mercy upon my people. Yes, the covenant curses will come upon them. I will have mercy. I will gather them to myself. I will bring them back to their fold. And they shall be fruitful and multiply. That's language that means he's going to restore their blessings. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. True shepherds. My people will fear no more. Nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord, because these true shepherds are going to care for my flock. Now, you have to understand historically that this immediately refers to the return from the exile. That's what God has said. He's going to send them into exile because they've broken their covenant. He's going to bring them back from exile. When God brings them back from exile, he's going to give them true shepherds. Maybe you're thinking of some of the good leaders of Israel after the exile, like Ezra or Nehemiah. Or Zerubbabel. But you have to understand that what God is speaking about here has a greater fulfillment in the New Testament. What he's really talking about here is the, the totality of the fulfillment 
of his redemptive purpose in the bringing back of the exiles. And to understand this, you just need to remember in redemptive history that the plan of God was to send his people into exile when they broke the covenant. His, his nation, his covenant people in the Old Testament, he was going to send them off to Babylon and to Assyria and to the Greeks and to the Romans and to that what we call the diaspora or the dispersion. He was going to scatter his people to the nations as he said that he would do. And then in part, he was going to bring them back. You remember 70 years after the events of the book of Jeremiah, he was going to bring them back to the land. He fulfilled that in part, and yet there was still a diaspora. His people were still scattered. He didn't fully fulfill his purpose in bringing them back just simply in the return of the exiles after 70 years. But the Old Testament makes it clear that what God is going to do is when he brings back his Israel from those nations, he's going to do so in a way that no one had imagined before. He was going to do it in a greater way than we were expecting because he wasn't just going to bring back ethnic Israel or old covenant Israel. He was going to bring back true Israel and not just out of the diaspora, but of the Gentiles of those nations and not just of the Gentiles of those nations, but of the Gentiles to the ends of the earth. <laughs> And God was going to bring back his exiles. He's talking about the New Testament. He's talking about bringing his people in from all nations and saving his people from all the world. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 gets to the heart of this, I think, in the most clearest way where God says it's too light a thing when I bring my people back just to bring back the preserved of Israel or the tribes of Jacob. But I will be a light to the nations, and my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. I'm going to bring my people out to the four corners of the earth. And so when God speaks here in verse 3 and 4, he's not simply talking about bringing Israel back and then setting over them Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. He's talking about the greater fulfillment. When God fulfills his promise, he's going to bring his people back to himself in the new covenant, and he's going to set leaders over them. He's going to set shepherds over them true bishops and overseers of their souls. And he's going to provide them pastors <laughs> is the fulfillment of that ultimately. And so God promises to protect his flock. He promises to provide for his flock. And God is our true shepherd. And God is ultimately going to do this when he sets his true shepherd as king in Israel. And that's where we get verse 5 and 6 where God speaks about the coming of Jesus Christ. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Now he's referring here to the Davidic covenant. He's promised David. David is going to have a dynasty. David's going to be king. His sons are going to be king. God is going to be a father to those kings. At the end of that dynasty, God is going to raise up a son for David, who is also the son of God. And God is going to give him the kingdom in an ultimate and supreme way, in a supreme sense, and the kingdom of David in the righteous branch, in this offspring, in this son, who we know to be Jesus Christ. He's going to give him a kingdom that will endure forever and ever. And this is what God is reminding them of. I'm not just going to bring you back. I'm going to set up over you the true shepherd. I'm going to set over you the true king. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up David's righteous branch. And he shall reign as king, and he will deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. He'll be the good shepherd. In his days, Judah will be saved, 
and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And so here he says he's going to raise up David's branch. He's going to raise up David's son. He's going to raise up God's son. This harkens back to the Davidic covenant, as we've already said. It harkens back to Isaiah 11, verse 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. From the line of David, a branch and his roots and his fruit and his branch. This branch shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And I bring this all out because we want to make some points about who this righteous branch is. He's the son of David. But he's also the son of God. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And he's the anointed of God. Now we know this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ is the root and the offspring of David. He's the son of David. He's the son of God. He's David's Lord. He's David's son. And he is the one who is anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's not simply anointed by water or by oil like David was in the Old Covenant. He's anointed by the very Holy Spirit himself. This is fulfilled, of course, at Christ's baptism. You remember, as Christ was baptized, John put him into the waters. As Jesus came out of the waters, the Father rent the heavens. And he poured out his Holy Spirit like a dove upon Christ. And he said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ, the true shepherd, he shall reign as king and deal wisely with his people. He will be the good shepherd, as we've said. Jesus himself says so in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own or love the sheep leaves the sheep and flees and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus will not leave. He will care for them. He will love them. He will own them as his own. He will deal wisely with them. He will execute justice and goodness and righteousness among them. He will save his people. The text tells us in his days, Judah will be saved. He will be a substitutionary atoning sacrifice for his people. He will lay down his life for his sheep. He will take his life up again. He will be a victorious ascended ruling and reigning king who is gloriously coming again for his people for the sake of his people he will die in their place and he will take the penalty of the law in their place and he will bear the wrath of god for them the wrath that they could not bear the penalty that they could not bear he will do it for them he will lay down his life he will die in the place of his people and he will take his life up again He will win victory over death and over sin. And he will be the righteousness of his people. And he will come again to gather them into eternal life, into his kingdom. Again, this is what Jesus says in fulfillment of these words in John chapter 10, verse 14 to 18. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. He lays down his life for us in substitutionary atonement. He is our righteousness. He takes it up again in his glorious ascension, his resurrection, his ascension, his promise of a return. He is our righteousness. He's our righteousness in every respect. And so Jeremiah promises that when he comes, this is the name that people will call him by. In other words, I, and I really think that this is what Jeremiah is getting at. 
Here's what the true shepherds are going to shepherd the people. Here's how they're going to proclaim to them. Here's what they're going to call their true shepherd. The true shepherds that I give to the people of Israel are going to be pointing to the one ultimate bishop and overseer of their souls. And here's the name they're going to call him. The Lord, your righteousness. The one who took the wrath of God in your place. The one whose righteousness clothes you. The one who's coming again to receive you home. They will call him by this name. This is the message that they will preach. To lead my people. To rescue them forever from covenant curses. And into righteousness and peace. And so this passage is a wonderful passage. (laughs) Essentially God is saying, I am your true shepherd. And I promise to protect you. I promise to provide for you. And I promise to be your savior through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come to God today through Christ to worship him as our true shepherd, as our protector, our provider, our savior, as our righteousness. And we worship him and we pray to him. And I hope that encourages you.